Our scripture for today, the lesson that we are taking into consideration is recorded in the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter, and it reads like this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So they went away. They found the colt tied at a door outside in a street. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what the Lord had said, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many then spread their cloaks on the roads, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's the text for our meditation today. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's start with this. Happy New Year. Oh, wait, you didn't know, did you, that today is the first day of the new year in the church. The season of Advent kicks off a new 12 months of learning to follow Jesus, learning to grow in our faith in Him. And I've always kind of appreciated the fact that the church's calendar is almost exactly one month off from the world's calendar because it's a constant reminder to us that while we are in the world, of course, we're not of the world. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the kingdom of Jesus. Now, in this world, there's a man named Stephen Covey who wrote a self-help book years ago entitled, some of you I'm sure read it, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that book, he declared that one of those all-important habits is that you always begin with the end in mind, which I think is sort of common sense. If you don't know where you're going, you'll never know whether you actually arrived or not. In Advent, in this first month of our church year, we begin today with the end in mind. Under this theme for the season, a season of promise, we're going to begin today at the end by zooming in on the last week of Jesus' life, that is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then in weeks two and three, we're going to zoom out a little bit and see the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and the preaching of John the Baptist until we arrive at the last week of Advent, which just happens to fall on Christmas Eve this year. And we will see the beginning of Jesus' earthly presence here on earth when an angel announces his arrival to a young woman from Nazareth named Mary. But today, today, Jesus arrives in our lives 
to be crowned king on the cross. Jesus arrives in our lives to be crowned king on the cross. We begin today with the end in mind, and I want to talk to you about how Jesus arrives, why exactly is his arrival so important, and then what difference does his arrival make in our lives? Well, first, how does Jesus arrive? The text today, we drop literally into the middle of the account that Mark has written down of Jesus' life. Now, tradition tells us that Mark was a close associate of one of the inner ring of Jesus' disciples, disciples namely Peter of Peter, James, and John fame. In fact, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch when you read the Gospel of Mark to say that it is the Gospel according to Peter. Now, Mark's first readers were the followers of Jesus gathered in little clusters around the city of Rome, probably somewhere between the year 60 and 70 AD, some 30 years after the actual events of Jesus' life. And yet prior to Mark's writing them down, Peter would have simply been telling them about Jesus in person. Now, this point in the Roman Empire, Nero was the emperor. And at the beginning of his reign, he simply ignored these uh, little clusters of odd Jesus followers that were scattered around the city. But then all of that changed drastically in the year 64 AD when a devastating fire ravaged 10 of the 14 wards of the city of Rome. And there were rumors then that spread very, very quickly that Nero himself had ordered the fire. And so as still as common in politics today, Nero quickly needed to find a scapegoat in order to divert the attention from himself. So what does he do? He blames the fire on this Christian community. And in so doing, Nero introduced the church to what is called martyrdom, that is, dying for your faith, which probably included the lives of Peter and Paul at this point. So Mark writes his account of Jesus' life to proclaim faith in a context of intense suffering and even the very real threat of death. Imagine these first followers, they're hiding literally underground in the burial chambers all over Rome called the catacombs, and they're living in fear, fear of betrayal by their friends, even their own family members, and if caught, facing death in the arenas. And so Mark comes along, and he tells the story of Jesus, who was also driven out into the wilderness where he had to face the wild beast. He's the only one of the gospel writers who includes that detail. And then Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends. And Jesus faced death at the hands of the Roman authorities. In other words, Jesus could fully understand their experiences, and he was with them through it all. Now, in Mark's telling of the story of Jesus, Jesus' actions 
are oftentimes almost hidden. They're hard to to see without the eyes of faith that allow a person to be able to peer through the events that he's describing in order to get the picture, the full picture, first, of how Jesus arrives in our lives. The text begins with Jesus' arrival being completely orchestrated by him. He is in control of this whole scene, and yet it's almost, although not quite entirely, hidden from most of the observers gathered in Jerusalem at that time. Now, you and I, not being first century Jews, I am afraid are particularly ignorant of the celebration of the Feast of Passover, which is what actually brought Jesus to the city in the first place. Passover, perhaps you know or you remember, was the annual remembrance of God's mighty act of rescue from 400 years of slavery in Egypt of the descendants of Abraham. And at the climax of that story, a lamb was slain, and the blood of the lamb was spread over the doorpost and the sides of each family member of Israel's house so that the angel of death would pass over and at the same time brought fear and despair to Pharaoh and his household who finally relents and finally sets them free. Now, every single year, Thousands of Jews from all over the civilized world converged on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And we know from historical records outside of the Bible that the population of the city swelled to many times its normal capacity that there were pilgrims that were actually camped on the sides of the Mount of Olives opposite the Temple Mount all along the road that would lead into the city and that they then paraded into the city to worship at the Temple. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is hidden away in that scene. And Mark tells it in a way that very nearly, very nearly hides Jesus from view, nearly, but not completely. For you see, Mark's first readers and we know what it all meant. Hiding in the catacombs in fear, Jesus' arrival meant for those first followers of Jesus that there was hope, that they could have courage, that they would ultimately find victory. How does Jesus arrive? Jesus often arrives almost unnoticed by the world. I mean, think about this with me. Here we are in the 21st century. We're entering into the into Advent. It's a, it's a season of promise. It's the promise of Jesus' arrival. And we do so already surrounded by Christmas decorations with 24-hour Christmas music already playing on the radio and, and, of course, the ubiquitous advertising that's necessary to drive up retail sales to support our economy for another year. And Jesus' arrival will go unnoticed by most of the world. 
but not so among us. No, the Holy Spirit is here today. The Holy Spirit comes to give us all the clues that we need to awaken our hearts to the power of life in Christ. That detailed description of the disciples being sent to fetch a donkey is so loaded with Old Testament significance that it can pull back the veil for us to see why Jesus has arrived. Now, Mark doesn't actually quote the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, but you can imagine Zechariah standing in the background begging to be heard in chapter 9, verse 9, where he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, here's Jesus with deliberate intent riding into Jerusalem. That's the city chosen by God to dwell in the midst of his people. And yet in Mark's account, do you know what happens? Jesus goes up to the temple He looks around and he sees frenetic chaos of the Passover celebration who, mark my words, commercial enterprise of buying and selling would rival our Black Friday madness and the month that follows. And then Jesus leaves. And he goes back to spend the night on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Nothing happens because it's the calm before the storm. But we know what comes next. We know why Jesus arrives. The king comes to bring salvation. And even that salvation will be hidden behind a gruesome death on a cross. Jesus arrives in our lives to be crowned king on a cross. Jesus, and hidden in his death, is our Passover, our rescue from slavery to sin, our restoration to the full face-to-face presence of God for which we were created. In the celebration of the Passover meal on the night when he was betrayed. Jesus took bread and he took wine and he broke it and he gave it to them and he took the wine and he blessed it and he said, this is my body, this is my blood. And in so doing, he declared that his real presence with us is hidden away under ordinary bread and wine. And the church for centuries has picked up the chant of the crowd in our text as we celebrated the Lord's Supper singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Look, many of the people in the crowd that day were oblivious to the presence of their king. Oh, they wanted a messianic king, make make no mistake, but not the kind of king that Jesus came to be, not a suffering and a dying king. They wanted a warrior king 
who would drive these nasty Romans out of their country and reestablish their nation to the great days, the greatness and the glory days of King David. You see, I think sometimes Jesus arrives in our lives to be crowned our king on the cross, and we fall off on the ditch in one side of the road like these people in Jerusalem who want a political solution to the mess that we're in, chanting Hosanna, imagining somehow that if we just elect the right leaders, we can finally get our country back on track and force people to behave better. Or fall off on the other side of the road like those first recipients of Mark's gospel, hiding away in our caves in fear, hoping that somehow we might just get through it, just escape unnoticed. But living on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, we celebrate Jesus' arrival this Advent with the end in mind. Why did Jesus arrive? To make you to make me a dearly loved, forgiven, bound for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, sons and daughters of the one true triune God who is driving all human history to its grand and glorious, although also a little bit frightening, conclusion when Jesus will return again in glory. What difference does all that make? What difference does Jesus' arrival as our king on the cross make in our lives? Friends, it makes all the difference in the world. Because you see, King Jesus is seeking to extend his rule and his reign here on earth as it already is in heaven, and doing so here and now through every word, through every attitude, through every action of mine, of yours, of our awakened hearts. Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, and you know what he found? He found all kinds of religious activity. Jesus arrives again this morning hidden away in the words of this sermon and in our worship, and what will he find? Look, St. Luke's is a very busy place. There is lots to do, especially this time of year. I mean, we've got midweek Advent services. We've got concert series. We've got a Christmas craft fair. We have a night in Bethlehem. But Jesus arrives to be crowned as king on the cross for more than just finding us being religiously busy. Jonathan Edwards was a powerful Puritan preacher who in 1738 preached a sermon that he called, he titled it, The Excellency of Christ. And in that sermon, Edwards described this diverse excellencies in the character of Jesus that have never been matched in any other human being. Listen, listen to Edward's summation of the character of Jesus. There do meet in Christ infinite highness and infinite accessibility, 
Infinite justice, yet infinite grace. Infinite glory, and yet infinite humility. Infinite majesty, and infinite transcendent meekness. Absolute sovereignty, and yet perfect submission. Infinite all-sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. When Jesus arrives and is crowned king in your life on the cross, his character, that character, begins to more and more shape your character. Boldness and humility, majesty and meekness, power and weakness begin to manifest themselves in the way that you interact with your family and with your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors. When Jesus arrives as our king on the cross, he transforms our character. Look, if you're an anxious person, people around you are gonna start to notice more and more the peace that passes all understanding. If you're an angry person, your words and your body language will begin to soften. If you're a fearful person or a self-centered person or a self-hating person or a self-aggrandizing person, people are going to notice a radical renewal in your character. Because when Jesus arrives and is crowned king of your life on the cross, it fundamentally begins to shape your character. If you tend to be too assertive and not very sensitive, <laughs> or maybe overly sensitive and so slow to actually act, look, whatever part of your character that is sort of droopy and that, that's sort of weak, Jesus will, will strengthen that by his presence in your life to become a more balanced person, and you're going to be able to move back and forth. If you're too outspoken, you'll learn when to keep your mouth shut. If you tend to hold back and not say anything, you're going to start to feel yourself being more bold. Jesus arrives in your life to be crowned king on the cross. Oh, he arrives humbly. Don't be afraid, but he brings salvation. <laughs> so rejoice. His arrival changes everything. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. So here's our weekly awakening question for you this week to ponder, to think about. Are you ready? Are you ready for a season of promise? And what does that promise even look like for you? Are you ready for a season of promise? And what does that look like for you?